got your Bibles, open up the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to know more about Revelation. And so we're going to start kind of talking through chapters two and three. Uh, over, uh, well, we're going to start today. We're going to do this for the next several weeks. Uh, here at LifePoint, we like to, to teach through books of the Bibles. We've been in a season here for a while where we've been going topically. There's nothing wrong with topical passages. Uh, when we do that, we like to try to do what we call expositional. We try to find a passage and go through that as we're talking about the topic. But for the next several weeks, next seven weeks specifically, we're going to be walking verse by verse, walking through chapter two and chapter three of uh, Revelation, looking at the seven churches uh, that are in those two chapters that the Lord had a word for. In fact, as you read, it says, you're going to hear this a lot as we're reading through, it says to him... uh, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So each of these churches, there's going to be something that the Lord desires for us as a community. Uh, now, when we get together, uh, uh, so that you know, in case you're just walking in here, uh, Life Point Riverdale, Life Point Smyrna, Life Point Stewart's Creek, Life Point Brussels, Life Point Bangkok, we're all one church. We all have teaching pastors. And when we try to uh, decide what it is that the Lord's doing, what it is that he wants us to teach, we don't like get out this dart board and kind of like start throwing darts at things. We, we actually pray about these things. I mean, we like, okay, Lord, what is it that you're wanting from us? What is it that you're wanting to say to us? And we really believe that he gave us, uh, we felt an impression of the spirit that over the next seven, eight weeks, we're going to be walking through Revelation 2 and 3. Following that, we're jumping into the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to walk through 1 Timothy. At the, uh, at, when we finish 1 Timothy, it'll be somewhere around the summer. We're going to jump into another series called Unsung Heroes. It'll be uh, people, lesser known people in the Old and New Testament that we can look at them and see how God used them uh, in his redemptive story. Uh, and then in September, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians and we're going to start walking through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And, and that's going to take us all the way into probably the first half of 2021. And you're going, whoa, we just started 2020 and we're talking 2021. Well, I say that because as we begin to sense this is where the Lord's taking us, and we begin to look at the, at the grand overview, we begin to see that he, all of these verses, all these books, they have something to do with the church, they have something to do with the church. And they, he has a word, we believe, for the church. Now, when I say that, I want to make sure that I'm really clear. I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm not talking about the building. When you drive up, you see this white building and all those. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is you and me. We are the church. And so he's got a word for us. He has a word for me. And as we begin to take what it is that he's saying, and we begin to go, okay, as the church, as a person who's a part of this church, God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're speaking? What is it that you're saying? So that when we begin to get a picture of that, and our lives are changed, and your lives are changed, guess what's going to happen? Our church is going to be changed. And when our church is changed, we're going to be a force for the Spirit, for the name of Jesus, in Murfreesboro. 
That's what my prayer is. That's what my hope is. That's what my desire is as we've been going through this. So with that, let's kind of jump into Revelation chapter two. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, open up there. Before we do, I'm gonna kind of give you a little uh, background because, and if you've got a pen or a piece of paper, uh, you're thumbing some notes or something on your tablet or your phone or anything, I want you to take a few things because we're not gonna come back to this. So next week, you're gonna need to tell somebody hey, you need to go watch last week kind of the intro to what it is that we're, we're talking about. Revelation was written somewhere around 95 to 100 AD. Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to the Father somewhere around AD 33. This book was written somewhere around 95. So it's about 70 years after Christ has, has ascended. He's back in heaven and it is written to uh, us today, has words for us, but specifically it was written to the seven churches that you're going to see in just a few moments. Uh, it was written to John, the apostle John, the disciple of John, the one whom Jesus loved. He, uh, he was in Ephesus. He was a force uh, at this point. Uh, John is probably somewhere around 90 years old. Uh, John had all of his friends, all the apostles had been uh, martyred. They had been scattered. They had been martyred for the gospel. The, the church history, church tradition tells us that John had, uh, the, the Roman government who was over everything, had tried to kill him several times. They were unable to do that. In fact, uh, church tradition, legend, history says that he was even dropped and put into a pot of boiling oil. He, it didn't kill him. So to minimize, can you imagine the scars that he bore for the gospel's sake? Can you imagine the scars if you've seen somebody who's been, who's been severely burned? Uh, so to minimize, his God, to minimize his influence, they exiled him, the Roman government, under Domitian, one of the emperors. They exiled him to a little island called Patmos. Think Alcatraz, literally. Think much like Alcatraz. You've got San Francisco to Alcatraz. You've got Ephesus to Patmos. It was a rock penal colony where they would send uh, people who they wanted to get rid of. It was a prison, uh, uninhabitable, basically. Uh, church tradition tells us uh, that he probably lived in a cave there. And he, as he lived in that cave, he was away from his friends, all of his apostle friends. They were dead or gone. He was away from his church. He had no Bible. He had no scripture. Yet it was into this context, it was into this context that the Holy Spirit, it says, spoke to him that he saw a vision from Jesus he saw a vision from Jesus. And in chapter two and chapter three, it, it's, a, it's a vision and it's a message to those seven churches of Asia Minor. For those of you who don't know, Asia Minor is modern day Turkey. It's the Western portion of Turkey. All of these places are real, all right? Somebody asked, came out after the first service and said, ah, it's good to know where this literally is. And I said, write it down in your Bible. I have this written down in my Bible. Asia Minor is Turkey. These are real places. The church is virtually non-existent there today. So here where the gospel was preached by Paul, the church is basically non-existent. 
Revelation 2 and 3 was written as a warning that if you do not have churches, the heart of God, if you're not chasing after those things that are important to me, then I'm going to remove your lampstand. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm going to remove your lampstand. But it's also written as an encouragement. I think my voice just cracked there all of a sudden. It's also as an encouragement uh, to them that if you do follow church, what it is that I'm commanding and what it is that I'm calling you to, then blessed you will be. The very first letter in, in, that he wrote to was to the church in Ephesus. The church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. We're not going to go there, but I want you to write this down because I think it's so important that you... Be, uh, when you go home today and over this next week, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Do not take this and just set it on the shelf. Don't... Uh, listen, don't just make your version app go away. Read it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to read Revelation 2 and 3. I'm going to ask you to go back to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And then I'm going to ask you to read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. See, when you begin to read all of those things, you begin to get a picture. You begin to get a real good picture of what it is that Jesus himself the words in red in chapter two and three, what he himself had to say to this church. Uh, Ephesus, Asia Minor, it was a port city, 250,000 people, roughly. There were three different major highways that would come into Ephesus, receiving the goods, goods going out, 250,000 people, three major highways. So it linked all the way back through Asia, okay? A very rich and wealthy city, large homes. Today, if you go there, there are still the ruins. I mean, it's beautiful. Ruins of this large, large library, one of the largest libraries in all the world in its day. Something like 26,000 scrolls, original works of uh, there. So it was a learned city. Uh, today, there is the uh, uncoverings, the ruins. They've uncovered an uh, a, a amphitheater of 25,000 seats it would, it would host, it would fill. 25,000 seats. Because it sits on a fault line, there's been earthquakes. Many archaeologists say that it was probably somewhere between 40 and 50,000 seats. But I want you to hear, it sounds a lot like Nashville, doesn't it? major highways coming in. It was an it city of the day. It was into this though, that it was also a very um, debase place, morally horrendous. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there. A huge edifice temple to Artemis. Artemis was, the, was a Greek goddess in Roman goddess, she would be known as Diana, the same if you see that in scripture. Uh, it, to, I mean, people from all over the world would travel to worship there. When they would come, you would have robbers. It was a place of safe haven for people. So they would come. And if they lived there and lived around the temple, they would be safe. Uh, it was run completely by women, all priestesses. All priestesses. It was the way that you worshiped was through um, cultic sexual activity, to put it mildly. One of the ancient, uh, one of the ancient uh, historians of the day, here's how he classified 
Uh, here's how he, what he said about Ephesus and about the temple. Uh, he said, their morals were worse than animals. They were only fit to be drowned. Uh, historians tell us that when a young girl, a little girl, prepubescent girl, became of age, she was sent to the temple to go into the service of Diana. There is no young girl today who desires to be that. But that, that was of major standing. That was something that was a job to be looked up to there. In the parades, the first to march were the senators. You know who the second to march were in the parades? The priestesses and the prostitutes. That's how... I, into that, God sends Paul with the light of the gospel. And folks, I want you to hear today when you look around and you think, our world, there's no way that God, it was into that that God sent Paul and the gospel flourished, not because of anything Paul did, but because of the power of God, the power of the gospel. It is that power that brings light and salvation to the world. So it's into that. It's into that, and I know that was a lot, but listen, I want you to have an idea of what it is that we're about to look at in Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. So let's begin to read here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be false. Verse three, I know you are enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary. So in Revelation chapter one, there's a lot of sevens here. You're going to see this as you start to reading. But in Revelation chapter one, in verse 20, he kind of lays out. Jesus lays out words in red what he's talking about here. He talks about seven lampstands. He says the lampstands are the churches, the seven churches that he's talking to, that this letter is going to. He, he says, listen, the lampstands are the churches. He says that there are seven stars, and those seven stars are the seven angels. Uh, I really believe that those angels, those stars, are the pastors. It's the pastors of those seven churches. Did you see what he says here in verse 1? He says, um, he, he, he talks about... The words of him who holds the seven stars, where? In his right hand. He, basically what he's saying here is, is that those pastors are being held in my right hand. That is very, very comfortable, comfortable to me. That is very, very comforting. That is a, a, a calm assurance to me that as one of his pastors, I'm being held. Now, granted, he's talking specifically to these churches, but I think the principle still applies that I'm being held by God. I want you to hear this. If you ever begin to think that LifePoint Church is run by a man, it is not. It is directed by the Holy Spirit of God, by Jesus himself. There is authority structures that this church has, but we seek to go before the Lord God and say, God, what it is that you desire? This is your church. Jesus, you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail. And I want you to know, this church does not belong to anyone but Jesus himself. It is his church. The right hand symbolizes authority. And so we, uh, we, we're following what he says. He is the senior pastor 
of this church. I want you to know that. That brings comfort to me. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 also goes on and he says that Jesus is walking among the lampstands. He is walking among them. He is active. He's not sitting down. He knows. He sees. He knows what's going on in the churches. He is uh, involved in them. Folks, I want you to catch this. If you ever, ever think that you can get away with something as a follower of Christ, Jesus sees it. His eyes are active. He knows. He sees. Why? Because, you know, I used to always tell my kids, hey, listen, I got eyes everywhere. I see. I know. Come and tell me. Confess early. Guys, I want you to know that is God. He sees. Jesus knows what's going on in his church. But this is also a picture. I want you, John says in his gospel that Jesus is the light of the world. Matthew in his gospel said that we as followers of his, that we as followers of his, that we are a light. What does he say? A, a light should be put on something. It shouldn't be covered up as, a, as the church, not the building, you and me. We are called to be lights for his gospel in very dark places that he has put us. He has placed you somewhere. And he says this, he's walking around. He's active. He sees, he knows. The primary purpose of every church is to be a light in a very dark place. And I don't, and I don't know if you catch this or not, but Murfreesboro is a dark place. Murfreesboro is a dark place. There are somewhere around 130,000 people who live here. We're half the size. We're half the size of Ephesus, 250,000. There was one church there. And as we're going to read, you're going to see that they made an impact all across, all across Asia. Just think what we, by the power of the God, if we're, by the power of God, if we are living as a light, as we've been called, what it could look like. You know, when Jesus says here in this, that uh, he's walking among the lampstands and you're going to see uh, that if you're, if, if as a church, we're not doing, we're not projecting, we're not being the light. It says that he'll remove that lampstand. Did you realize that in North America this week, there will be 200 churches who close? Every week in North America, 200 churches close their doors. And why is that? Well, you're going to see over the next six weeks, because when we aren't being who Christ calls us to be, when we as individuals are not shining the light forth, when we're not being the people that he's called us to be, he'll shut us down in a heartbeat. Because that is how serious he takes what he calls us to be as a church. Jesus starts out praising these people, all right? He starts out praising them. Uh, they're involved in ministry. They're involved in serving. Uh, they are, they're not looking for people to go get in the kids' ministry. They're not looking for people who will hold babies. They're giving to missionaries, literally. They were giving to the missionaries so that the gospel would continue to go around. They were committed to being the light in Ephesus. Uh, Paul, Acts 19, he went in and he planted the church. You know who else, he, what he did when he was there? He discipled some people called Priscilla and Aquila. Have you heard of Priscilla and Aquila? Who did Priscilla and Aquila disciple? Apollos, who was one of the teachers there. Who became the pastor at Ephesus? Timothy. 
Timothy was one of the pastors there. And above over all that, you had John who based his ministry out of there where he was probably an overseer in that area. This was an all-star lineup. These are the people that God had there. This was a church that when in AD 70, when Rome destroyed, when Jerusalem was destroyed, the center of Christianity moved to Ephesus. And yet... Jesus told them, I'll take your lampstand down. This is only 40 years after, only 40 years after they had been birthed. Wow. Notice in verse two, he commends them for their endurance. Verse two, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. Nobody in our church today, remember the culture in which Ephesus was set? That's why I want you to go to 19. I want you to read the, read the book, read uh, the book of Ephesians. Nobody in our church today is going to be arrested and stoned for being here this morning. No one has any, we, we don't have any reason to worry about our house being set on fire because we're a follower of Christ. You're not going to like be arrested as you're leaving. They're going to take you and literally chop your head off because you are a Christian in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That is not going to happen. That is what these people were facing in that day. And Jesus says this, he says, I know your works, I, I, I miss, I, your endurance, you are patiently enduring what it is that's going on. And we think that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus in middle Tennessee during these days. Remember, we're talking about the seventh, one of the seven wonders of the world where they were having cultic sexual practices to worship a foreign God. That's the culture in which they're in. And Jesus says this, he commends them. He says, I know you're patient. Your endurance, you are patiently enduring. This is awesome. It's awesome. Keep it up. He's even telling them this. He says, listen, he commends them for being uh, doctrinally pure. Notice what he says back over here in verse two. He says, uh, and you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves their apostles and are not, and you've seen that they're false. He says, listen, you know, you know true doctrine, why did they know true doctrine? Because they had set under true doctrine, under teaching. They weren't being begged to go to life groups. They weren't being begged to join in to classes. The, every year when Paul would go into a new town, listen, when Paul would go into a new town, you know what he, the first thing he would do? When the scripture says that the gospel is for the Greek first and then the Gentile, Paul, what he would do when he would go into a new town, he would go to the Jewish synagogue. Acts tells us that he went there, he went into Ephesus, went to the synagogue, and he began to preach and to teach. He began to, uh, for three months, three months, that would be six months, for three months, he would go in and he would preach and he would teach. The Jews were starting to come to Jesus. They were responding to the gospel. And the leader of the synagogue kicked him out. Literally, the scripture tells us that he went next door to a place called the, the Hall of Tyrannus. And for two years, it says he met daily there preaching and teaching the gospel. So much so that it, the scripture says all of Asia knew of Jesus and the gospel because of what happened in Tyrannus. I pray that all of Murfreesboro, all of Middle Tennessee, all of Tennessee, all of this nation knows what's happening. The gospel because of what's happening of this church. He commends them for that. 
He says, they weren't worried when the Mormons came to the door and knocked. You know why? Because they knew true doctrine. They didn't have to worry when the JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door because they knew true doctrine. They knew how to talk about in a sex crazed culture where gender, does it sound like us? Where gender identities or gender benders, things are crazy. You know what? They, they knew the scripture. They knew do- true doctrine. They were able to talk about it. The secular worldview of that day they were, able, they were able to speak because they had sat under true teaching. They were involved. They were learning. And Jesus says, listen, you're enduring. You're serving. You're giving. You're going. You know doctrine. Does, that sounds like a place I want my kids to join. That's a place where I want my whole family to join. Man, when's the next membership class? I'm glad you asked. It's next, next Sunday. 10.30 during this hour, Kurt's going to be teaching it. I want you to join, register. Literally, wouldn't that a place you'd want to be? I mean, you want your family in that. You want your family there. But that's not where it ends. Let's look again. Let's, chapter 2, verses 4 and following. Verses 4 and following. We're going to read through verse 7. Remember, Jesus is saying this, but I have this against you. Whoa. (laughs) When Jesus says he has something against you, that ought to like, what? (laughs) But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, that you've abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you first did. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he draws out again. He commends them on something. You hate those who are of free grace. Jesus, you've changed my heart. My heart's different. I can live like I want to live and you'll forgive me. He says, no, 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 no. You hate that. I hate it also. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Notice he says, listen, you're serving, you're enduring, you know gospel, you're giving, all of these things. But this I have against you. You're doing this out of obligation, not out of affection. You're doing this out of delight. I mean, excuse me, out of duty, not delight. You're doing this like a religious check, not out of relationship. He says, listen, you, when I read this and as I've been studying through it, you know what, you know what came to my mind? The, the Holy Spirit took me back to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, somewhere around 22 or 23, Jesus says, there are going to be those who come to me in those last days. And they're going to say this, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? 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 And Jesus says, I'm going to look at them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. And that word knew is intimacy, literally intimacy. The intimacy that where Adam knew Eve, 
that close, a love. He says, listen, guys, you can do all of the right things, but you're doing it wrong. Your motivation is wrong. He says, you're, you're doing it out of a check. And listen, there are days, I want you to hear this. There are days when, man, we, we, we got to get up and do. But he's talking about here a long period of time. Listen, you know, it's possible. It is quite possible that there are people, this was written 40 years after the church was birthed, after it was planted. It's quite possible that there were people in that church who were there when Paul came around and now he's speaking to them and saying, hey, listen, those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, it is easy just to do the thing, isn't it? And he says, listen, do you love me? I mean, do you love me? How often in churches, and I'm guilty of this, how often in churches do we talk about, you know, real love is an action. It's not a feeling. It's not an, listen, I think sometimes we have, we've made too hard of a line there. Love does act, but I want you to know that love also feels the scripture tells us that he would take our heart of stone in the Old Testament. I'll take that heart of stone out and I'll put a heart of flesh, one that beats, one that's pliable. If all I did were actions, clean the house, mow the yard, do laundry, take care of the dog, and isn't that enough, Amy? I mean, I'm showing you that I love you. Do you know what she desires? She desires like a warm heart that loves her, where there's emotion, where there's feeling, where there's passion, where there's something that's soft. And he says to the church at Ephesus, he says to them, you, you've abandoned that first love. You, you've abandoned that. You see, listen, guys, love is primary with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that he laid his life down because he loved the Father and he loved those for whom? Scripture says he came into his own and his own did what? They received him not. They didn't love him. They turned their back on him. He, God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, who have you seen? the father. That's how much Jesus loves us. And he said this to them, you, you're doing it all right. <laughs> your actions, you're enduring, you know, doctrine, you're get, you're doing all those things, but do you love me? No, like does your heart, do you love me? Matthew writes in his gospel that there was a teacher of the law who came to Jesus and the teacher of the law said this, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, he said, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love matters. Listen, if, if, if you're not loving God, if, you're not, if your heart is not warmed towards him, if your affections aren't set on him, oh, you can have Southern hospitality. Why don't you come on in, sweetheart, and have some sweet tea? I got, uh, you laugh because you know it's true. 
But I want you to tell, Southern hospitality is not love for my neighbor. Southern hospitality is not love of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, love is of primo importance to me. It is primary. He's, listen, how many times in the Old Testament does he talk about sacrifice is not what I've desired? Your actions are not what I've desired. It's your heart that I'm looking for. That's what I want to see. Not that we shouldn't. We should be doing all these things. But if we're doing all of these things without a heart that's bent toward the Lord, a heart that loves him. Wow. Wow. You remember 1 Corinthians? What, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians is the, it's the love chapter. It's all about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's all, uh, it's just full about what love is. And it ends like this. Uh, but these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Listen, y- you can't have salvation without faith. Life is screwed up, messy, crazy without hope. If I can hope in Jesus. But Jesus said, the greatest of these, Paul wrote and said, the greatest of these though is love. It's the most important. Paul says that you could know all of the mysteries. You could know all the mysteries. You can have Bible knowledge running out your ears. But if you don't love, what is it? It is a banging gong, a loud symbol that is just how many of you have like a symbol playlist on Spotify that when you want to relax, you just, the drummer does. That's, that's standard. <laughs> I love symbols, but listen, in their right spot, they become music. And he says, listen, if you do all the right things, but you don't have love in your heart. Wow. And Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, you're doing all the right things but your heart has become calloused. It's become cold. It's become hard. Some of you today may have rolled out of bed going, I've got to go to kids club. I've got to go to preschool. I've got to go serve. I've got to go do. Folks, listen, at some point we have to evaluate. This is, I don't mean this. So don't take this as guilt. Hear this. This is where do we, how do we examine? What does it look like to love God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 19. You can't go, don't go over there right now. I want you to write some of these things down. Acts chapter 19 is where Ephesus was planted. And he says to them in Revelation 2, Revelation 2, he says, um, you've abandoned the love you had at first. He says, remember therefore from when you're fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Now I want to be really clear before we get here. My work has absolutely no standing before Jesus Christ. It does not make me right before God. I want you to be very, very clear of that. It does not make me right before God. The only thing, the only work that makes me and you right before God is the work that Jesus did on the cross. When he worked, he came, he lived a perfect life, He honored God completely with everything. He never sinned and he laid his life down on a cross. He laid his life down. He was buried in a a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he arose. 
He was there for 40 days and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That is the only work that works. Not my work. But because I've trusted in that work, now I work for him. So when he says, go back to what it was at the very beginning, what, what, what did happen? In Acts chapter 19, as you go back and read this week, hint, hint, as you go back and read this week, what you're going to see is this, is that when Paul went into town, there was a move of God that began to happen. Literally, people were being healed of all kinds of sicknesses and, and, and maladies and diseases. The scripture says this. Here's what the scripture says. The scripture says that so many people were being healed. So many lives were being changed that people were t going and taking things that Paul would touch. Paul didn't, I mean, whatever they watched, whatever he was touching, they were grabbing it. And you know what they'd do with it? They'd take it and then they'd go lay it on someone who was sick and they would be healed. There was a move of God that began to sweep around and people were going, What? What is going on? This God, this Jesus that Paul is talking about, I, I, they begin to talk about Jesus. They begin to talk about Jesus. Why? Because there was a move that was happening. Their lives were changed in so many unique ways that they couldn't quit talking about Jesus. The scripture tells us that, um, remember the, the temple of Artemis, seven wonders of the world. There was a silversmith there named Demetrius who was the leader of the, the silver, the artisans guild. And that because of what was happening over the time that Paul was there, so many people were being saved. Their lives were being changed that the artisan guild began to tank. They would make these little uh, figurines of Artemis that people would buy. They would worship that stopped. That stopped because Paul, they, they were, uh, listen, people's business ventures changed. The way they did business, where they spent their money, what they did changed because of the movement of God. How they spent it, what they went, where they went. In fact, Acts 19 says this, that there were so many people involved in the occults, in magic arts, it says, that they gathered up everything they had, all those things about the past life. They brought it and they burnt it all. Said it was worth like 50,000 pieces of silver. Why? Because they said, we're not going back to that. We're done. Our lives have been changed. Because the move of God affected how they lived, where they went, how they spent their money, how, listen, if, if I never talk about my wife, let's say I come in, I'm, I'm, you, you hire me in your business. You don't know me. I'm in your business. Not like in your business. I mean, like a, you're employing me. So I'm there, I'm walking, I'm doing my thing. You, you see my ring, because I wear it, but I never talk about my wife. I don't talk about my kids. I don't talk about vacations. I, I'm just, but then like 18 months later, all of a sudden you hear me say something about my wife. Your question is going to be, oh, you like, you have a wife. Oh, it, do, you're, you're probably going to wonder, do, I, do you really love her? I mean, like, is your family important? You never talk about her. Folks, these lives have been changed in Ephesus and they couldn't quit talking about it. 40 years later, somehow they had quit talking about it. They, the, the move of God in their life had gotten old. Their business was no longer, I mean, God didn't, he, he didn't affect, Jesus didn't affect how they, where they went, how they spent their money, what they did. Oh, 
they did go to the church. They kept the kids, but they just were going through the routine. It was duty, not delight. It was check the box, not a loving relationship. Do you know what the scripture says there? Jesus gave the way back. He says, repent. Repent. Do you know what the word repent means? The word repent means I'm going in this direction. This is the way I'm going. And then I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. And I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going this way. And you know what always happens when you repent? If you, if you feel like God's moved, I want you to know he's not moved, you have. If you're feeling cold today, if your heart is not strangely warmed by the things of Jesus, by the things of God, if it's not moved and warmed, you've moved. He hasn't. But the great thing is, is that when you turn and repent, you realize he's right there. He's there. You may feel like you're 10,000 miles away, but I want you to know that when you turn, he's right there graciously, lovingly. He's the father that I wished I would have been. I could be. How many times, dads, have you like, see, I told you, son. See, I told you, daughter. You know what he says? Come on home. Here I am. He says, return. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in him. He is there. Folks, I must confess to you over the last studying this that the Lord has just really convicted me that I've not loved Jesus like I once loved Jesus. And I feel like I love Jesus. I don't talk about him the way I used to talk about him. Maybe you're there too. I had to turn, and he was there. I repent. I love you. I'm going back. God, I want to I sense the movement of when I was 14, and you changed my life when things were so very real. And you know what? That doesn't matter if you're 19 or 90. The point today is, is where do you find yourself? Has, have you left your first love? Oh yeah, we're serving. We're giving. Yes, and we need to keep serving. We need to keep giving. But from a heart that loves Jesus with all of our heart, where we sense him, where we, God, I, I want to know you. Yeah, I'm going to Bible study and I'm getting up, but God, I want to I sense your presence in me. How do you do that? You repent. And then you go back to the work that you once did, the scripture says. Lord, I love you. I'm listening. I'm involved in community. Maybe you've separated from community. Maybe you're not serving. You know, I always say the more you serve, the more you grow. And the more you grow, 
the more you serve. If you're not serving, maybe you're not growing. If you're not sitting in community, you're not receiving community. Today, to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And I implore you, would you return? Would you return to your first love? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We've intentionally carved some time today. Specifically, that's why we sang only a couple of songs up front was so that we could have time here on the backside where we could sit and ask the Holy Spirit of God, would you reveal our hearts? Maybe today you're, yes, God, I remember when you changed me. I remember when you invaded my life and I don't want my lampstand removed. Not that I would lose my salvation, but God, I need you. I desire you. I hear you. And I run to you. God, I'm secure. There is therefore now no condemnation. So as a loving father, I come to you. Maybe in this room, there's someone you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And this is your opportunity. Oh yeah, I've done all those things. In fact, I, I'm, I've sensed the Spirit speaking to me today that maybe I would be one of those from Matthew 7. And I need Jesus in my life. I give him my heart. If he's stirring in you, if he is opening your eyes, would you respond to him now? Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you are a God full of grace. I thank you, Father, that you wait with open arms. I thank you that you call us and that you woo us and that your Holy Spirit is active in this room, walking among us. And may we be obedient. Father, I thank you so much for this body. And I ask that there would be a move that would begin today not because we work hard, but because we seek to love you more. Break our hearts, stir our hearts, call us home. Today, we're going to sing, we're going to sit, we're going to listen to the Father, and then we're asking you to respond. Maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you have something you want to pray with the person next to you. Maybe you, you want to step to the back and I'll be at the next steps area out the door to the right and just talk with you pray with you there as Zion plays quietly in a moment he's going to call you to sing with him he's going to sing over you but as he calls I want you to know the altar is open and would you turn today to your loving father in the name of Jesus we ask these things amen